Welcome, everybody. Today, we have a special layover episode for you all about insulin. And we're hoping this will be more enjoyable than most layovers that you experience in most airports. I'm looking at you, LaGuardia. (laughs) There's a backstory. (laughs) All right. So this layover is a primer for our next full-length episode all about type 1 and type 2 diabetes. And we thought we'd do this layover to give anyone interested a little bit more depth and meat, if you will, on the topic of insulin. A little more carbohydrate goodness on insulin, which allows us to do what we love, which is oftentimes eating and drinking delicious foods and drinks. Because in talking about diabetes, we oftentimes hear about insulin, and we know that it's something that diabetics or a lot of diabetics have to take around mealtime in order to stay healthy, but what is insulin? We don't really usually get that depth. Insulin is a really active, very necessary protein hormone that is being used in some way in your body. So we wanted to go into a little bit more depth to help you guys understand, and us as well, uh, what insulin actually does and how it works and why it's so important. Because to tell you the truth, before this, I really didn't know what insulin was. I knew it was a hormone, didn't know what it was made of, how it worked... I knew a little bit more since I have a degree in physiology, but I didn't really know where it came from. Well, I knew where it came from. I knew it was the pancreas, but it's there's a lot of little nuances into how insulin is important that's easy to forget. So hopefully this episode will provide you with some better framework to appreciate the struggles of type 1, type 2 diabetics that you may know and love. So in the United States, there are roughly 29 million people that are diagnosed with diabetes. And of that, a very rough 9 million people take insulin to treat their diabetes, which is a huge number. Absolutely, especially considering that the CDC estimates that that 29 million number is actually on the low end because type 2 diabetes especially is habitually underdiagnosed. People tend to not go to the doctor and tell themselves that things are okay because they can't quite figure out what is wrong. So there's likely more people than that living with diabetes right now. The insulin that diabetics take is an absolutely life-saving drug for a lot of people. And before insulin was discovered and used as a treatment, people diagnosed with type 1 diabetes oftentimes died within one to two months. And when they first started giving insulin as a drug in the late 1920s, they literally saw people on the brink of death come back to full health. So it really, it's an incredible drug that we have um, and saves lives every day. A wonder drug, which stops you from starving yourself even though you're eating. It's absolutely amazing. So what is insulin? It is a hormone. So what does that mean? Basically, what a hormone refers to is some sort of molecule that circulates around the body, primarily through the bloodstream, that can um, talk to different cells in different parts of the body. So a hormone can be some sort of chemical, or in this case, a protein, uh, that just gets circulated around and has uh, widespread effects throughout the whole body. If it doesn't circulate, it ain't a hormone. And you touched on the second part of what insulin is, and that is a protein, which is my true love proteins. I love them. 
Insulin is a protein that means it is made in the cells by a special machine called the ribosome. It's encoded by a gene in the DNA, which we discussed in episode 4, DNA 101. And it's built out of amino acids, which you get from your diet, and also your body makes some of these. Uh, These are a very specialized set of building blocks, which your genes provide the blueprint, and the amino acids provide the material to build a protein. Yes, and proteins are very diverse, and they do all sorts of different functions throughout the cell and throughout the body. So insulin is one of those proteins, and it has a very interesting life cycle. It is made in only one cell type in the entire body, and that is the beta cells of the pancreas. It's made originally in this long form that's called pre-pro-insulin, and then it is transported to a special area of the cell called the endoplasmic reticulum where it is stored and begins to be processed. And as it does this, it gets cleaved multiple times. And it eventually forms what's called insulin. And in this process, it gets kind of bundled up into these what's called vesicles. And they're essentially like balloons. When something is a vesicle, their whole purpose is to get transported to the membrane of the cell. And then they fuse with the membrane of the cell and release their contents to the extracellular space. So insulin is kind of shipped to the ER, the endoplasmic reticulum, it's processed, it's chopped up, it loses a whole segment. So it ends up actually being two protein chains that are linked together. So it's two completely different chains that are connected at two different spots. Now mature insulin in kind of its active form is sitting in these balloon vesicles, sitting in the cell waiting for a signal. And that signal happens when blood glucose levels increase due to eating. Your bloodstream starts to absorb the processed carbohydrates from your small intestines. So the blood glucose starts to rise and both your nervous system signals to your pancreas that it needs to start releasing insulin. And also the rising blood glucose, your pancreas has a sort of sensing mechanism that once the blood glucose, which is normally within a very tight range... Um, in a normal person, once it starts to creep upwards, your pancreas notices that and releases the insulin. So insulin goes and acts on several different tissues, including liver, fat, muscle, brain cells, and in half of the population, the placenta. Also red blood cells too, right? I don't know. Do they? I read about it. Yeah, apparently red blood cells also... Yeah, so they try so insulin acts on lots of different tissues, but how is it acting on these different tissues or different cell types? And on these different cell types, there are special receptors or docking sites for insulin. And these are called the insulin receptor kinases or IRKs. It's another protein that is bisecting the membrane of a cell, so there's part of it that's sticking out towards the the extracellular space where insulin is circulating through and it has another segment that reaches into the cell and when insulin binds to the receptor it causes a change in the shape of that receptor and when this shape change happens this stimulates a chain reaction or sort of like a protein to protein relay 
and the internal part of this receptor talks to other proteins, which transmit a message from one protein to another, to another, to another. So essentially, insulin binds and sets off a whole cascade of different relay paths or signaling networks that turn on or off different processes within the cell. And so all of these processes relate to how glucose is used or internalized by the different cells. So for instance, one of the things that gets turned on is a glucose transporter, so called GLUT4. Transporter is essentially a hole that's shaped like glucose, and it's moved out to the plasma membrane and allows the glucose that's circling through to now enter the cell. Um, some other pathways that are turned off, so in the liver, a process called gluconeogenesis, where glucose is actually produced from other nutrients, that is turned off because if we have plenty of glucose coming in from the blood and from a meal we just ate, we don't need to be making it from its base components. And in fact, if you have the higher blood glucose long enough, doesn't that talk to the liver to tell it to start making more glycogen, which is the longer stored form of glucose? Absolutely. Several different types of cells have a special storage form of glucose called glycogen. And it's just kind of that quick source of glucose when the cell needs it. It can break it down very fast. In periods of exercise, long-term exercise, a lot of the times you can crack into that. Or if you've gone quite a while without eating uh, in like a fasted state, you can crack into your glycogen stores for that glucose that your body craves. Other processes that are turned off, um, lipid degradation is turned off, so we don't need to be breaking down our fat stores to produce energy because we have plenty of glucose coming in. So the overall result of insulin signaling is that glucose is being shipped into the cell and being stored or utilized. And this has the effect of lowering blood glucose levels to that kind of strict um, range that the body likes to have blood glucose at. In a normal person, it's accepted to be between 70 and 110 milligrams per deciliter, but in general, right around 100 uh, milligrams per deciliter is the commonly looked for sign of good, normal, stable blood glucose. And your body likes it in that very tight range, any lower and you just don't feel well, any higher, you really also don't feel well, and it's also very unsafe. Insulin is very good and our pancreas is very good about putting out just the right amount of insulin to regulate that blood glucose level and is able to send this really complex message to the entire body that says, hey, get ready, got some glucose coming in. Uh, when the blood glucose levels are depleted to kind of the base level, then the message is turned off. The pancreas stops releasing insulin and those receptors that have insulin bound to them are internalized and degraded. So that kind of stops the signal at the level of the cell. Why do we need to know about kind of the biochemistry behind insulin? Why is it important that we know that it is processed from pre-pro-insulin to pre-insulin to insulin, and then it's two chains that are linked together? Why does that matter? Well, insulin is a drug, and we like to know that the insulin that people are having to inject to regulate their blood sugar looks and acts just like the normal insulin. How do we make a protein drug? So normally proteins don't make very good drugs because they don't stick around very long. Uh, they don't tend to be circulated all that well. It's 
getting the protein drug to the body is also kind of strange. People don't really like injectables unless it's life or death. So how do we make insulin as a, as a good drug? Well, the first way that insulin was made as a drug was it was just simply isolated from animal sources. So we outsourced it. We, we outsourced that work. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the very first experiments were done with dog pancreases that were isolated and then I, insulin was taken from the dog pancreas. They switched to isolating insulin from cows, which produced a lot more insulin and a lot more bang through your body. And I know at some point they then switched over to also offering insulin isolated from pigs. Well, I wonder if they use these animals because A, they're big, and because B, we were already growing them in mass, mass amounts anyway. The first um, stuff they had, it was actually done in Canada, the, oh. like the experiments. The researchers actually injected the insulin into themselves. <laughs> Naturally, as, as they do. People, when you can't get FDA regulation to do a human study. I'm not sure when we exactly figured out what a protein was. <laughs> but we probably but I, injected it. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure, like, I don't know how they figured out that it was pure. <laughs> I have questions. <laughs> and concerns. Like, I'm so glad it worked. But there's part of me like, oh my god, it's a miracle they didn't die. Goodness. Yup. They injected themselves with dog insulin. And they felt woozy. They said they just got lightheaded, but it was safe. And so there was a little boy that was literally on his deathbed. And they gave him the shot and they saw him completely recover. Wow. Which is just wonderful. So you might think, oh, it's kind of weird to take insulin that's from uh, pigs or cows. When in actual reality, there's in the whole sequence of insulin, the part that the, the insulin, not the pre-pro insulin, there's only four single changes between the cow, pig, and the human form. It's very, very chemically similar. Which usually means when we're talking about evolution, if there's not a lot of changes from a life form to a couple others different on the evolutionary tree, then that usually means that this is a very important and evolutionarily conserved signaling mechanism. When we say evolutionarily conserved, it means that a number of different creatures in the same evolutionary tree have it because it was critical to whichever ancestor that we shared. But we don't take cow or pork insulin anymore, do we? No, some people do. Really? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely still on the market. You can definitely still take insulin that is derived from animal sources. But there is a new kid on the block. And by new, I mean 30 years old. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it doesn't seem that old anymore. So what we have nowadays is recombinant human insulin. Jackie, what does recombinant mean? Recombinant means that the DNA or the gene that encodes for insulin has been cloned or put into a bacterial host so that the bacteria will now produce that protein. So we have engineered bacteria to make large amounts of human insulin. We use recombinant technology quite often in the lab, but at the industrial level, they grow them in these giant vats and isolate the insulin from those and are able to make massive amounts of human insulin, which is pretty incredible. What this also gives us the ability to do is we can now, because we can engineer that DNA, is make improvements to the insulin structure. A couple of the things that they've done is actually made 
slight mutations to the insulin to make it more stable. One of the problems with protein as a drug is that when it gets into a vial, it has to sit there for a while before it's actually used. And so we want it to be very stable. We want it to stay in its correct orientation. And unfortunately, sometimes proteins fall apart or they clump together like a big old aggregate, and that's not good for injection and it's not gonna work properly. They've been able to make some mutations to cut down on that aggregation and improve the stability of insulin. And so nowadays there are a lot of available types of insulin on the market and no one's really better than the other. It's just what works best for you. But either way, it will save your life. If you do happen to be in a situation where you need it, people have figured out that for people with certain types of diabetes who need it, they can change the mixture that the insulin is suspended in to make long-acting insulin where it is harder for your body to absorb this insulin. So this insulin can be taken once or twice a day to sort of provide a baseline level of insulin for people whose bodies don't make any anymore. And it's slower to absorb because of what it's packaged in. And so this helps give people a baseline level of insulin because even if you're not eating, we kind of brushed over this, but even if you're not eating anything, your body is still creating just a little bit of insulin all the time. And it's a little bit of circulating all the time. It's you just get a bump whenever you eat a meal. So there's long acting and then there's also short acting, which is just your average insulin that we make either in the lab or isolate from animals and uh, inject so that people can eat. Yeah. So it's insulin that goes in and it immediately gets to work versus insulin that's in a form that's not really quite easily accessible. And it's just unpackaged slowly. You got to work for it. So that is our introduction to insulin. We hope that we've shared kind of the basics, what is insulin and how it works in the body and what you can imagine goes wrong when a body isn't producing insulin or not responding to it appropriately. Thank you for tuning in for this layover. We hope that this has sufficiently tantalized you to tune into our episode next week, which is all about deconstructing diabetes, type 1 and type 2. We're going to talk about what happens when you eat, what type 1 and type 2 diabetes are, and how they differ, and the different ways with which people deal with them and treat them. So stay tuned. If you haven't looked already, please check us out on our website, flyoverstatescience.com, like our Facebook group, Flyover State Science, and please send us emails or tweet at us, also at Flyover State Science. You can send us letters if you'd like. Just send me a message. I'll give you my address. But please let us know what you want to hear about, what you're interested in, what questions you may have. And we're looking forward to talking more with you about this interesting topic.